What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true Trial by Content winner. Hello again, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I am Neil Miller. You might be aware of a superhero before they appear on screen, but that doesn't depreciate the value of the first time we see a big hero being the full one that we expected. From the small screen to the big screen, it's time to debate the wonder and excitement of superhero introductions and attempt to decide which was the best one ever. But first, Joanna, we need to declare a winner of last week's very contentious vote about television needle drops, what have we decided was the best? <laughs> well, let's just start with what we decided was the worst, uh, which was my submission. I vastly overrated the longevity of Six Feet Under in the uh, in the cultural conversation. So Six Feet Under, the Breathe Me by Sia and Six Feet Under came in dead last, screeching into last place. Neil got a few more votes than I did uh, with his pick. He is third on the list. Dave did pretty well. You, Thanks, you, Friday Night Light fans. You really, really tried to aim for the, the sports ringer crowd. It was very competitive that, for a while. Devil there. Town needle drop, but running away with the whole thing. And I, I actually love it when the listener wins. Was our listener submission uh, from mm, the OC. What you say? <laughs> um, and Neil put together a little leaderboard for the entire season so far 
And the listeners and Neil are tied with three wins. And Dave has four wins. And I'm currently in first place with seven wins. But we'll see how long that lasts. Especially this week. <laughs> we'll see. So, <laughs> so that's what happened last week. If you disagree with how the voting went, you have no choice but to vote this week. On Twitter, on theringer.com, and the Spotify app, there's like multiple places for you to vote. Make sure you you make your voices heard. That's right. We all expect three votes from you every week when we say vote. <laughs> three votes. All for me. Just me. Um, all right. So we are about to talk about a little movie called Thor Love and Thunder coming up right now. He reclaimed his title <laughs> as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? Okay, so the inspiration for this week, superhero introductions. We've had many. But this last week in a, a movie called Thor Love and Thunder came out where we got a new Thor. Jane Foster herself, played by Natalie Portman. And the introduction, which you might have seen in a trailer or two, even if you haven't seen the film yet, is kind of dramatic, right? We're in the heat of battle. Mjolnir, Thor's long-lost beloved weapon, comes zooming into battle. We see the, the hammer doing its work. And Thor reaches out to grab it, and then it zooms out. And it is a statuesque blonde with incredible arms wielding the hammer. Who the hell is this? Thor asks. And then he finds out is Jane Foster, his ex-girlfriend. Uh, it's an incredible moment. I can understand why they put it in the trailer. Neil, how did that superhero reveal work for you? <laughs> Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed the part where, you know, the 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 audience sort of obviously knows it's coming because it's in the trailer, but also in the context of the movie, we get a little scene where we see Jane and Mjolnir sort of make their first connection. She doesn't grab it or anything, but you can kind of feel that it's coming. So that when it comes back around a little bit later, it, I think one of the most fun parts of the scene is watching Hemsworth. Uh, deliver Thor's reaction, right? Because we as the audience know what's about to happen. We we know what it means when we hear Mjolnir fly by, or as Kat Dennings would call him, uh, call it Mew Mew, goes flying by. And uh, so I think you get this sort of really fun performance from Hemsworth and uh, the chaos of the scene really works. So yeah, it was one of my fav- favorite parts of the movie other than uh, some of the action later in the film, which I really liked. Dave, something we know from... Um... I think it's okay to talk about these set photos because they didn't make their way into the movie. Something we know from like set photos is that originally there was going to be a sequence where Natalie Portman, like once she stand when one Jane Foster is standing in front of the pieces of Mjolnir in New Asgard, she was going to like sort of rise up into the air and maybe there was going to be like a, we don't know maybe like a whole Sailor Moon type transition of her like getting her costume, getting the blonde hair, getting all of it, getting the guns, um, and then they cut that in, in you know in favor of doing the reveal here. On balance, like how does that work for you? Would you have preferred the the full uh, you know Sailor Moon midair transformation? What what do you think? Yeah, I think I would have preferred that only because they did have this moment in the trailer. So as Neil mentioned, and I completely agree with, it's much more in the movie about what Thor is going to say. I think there's even a lead in scene where he asks Valkyrie who the other person is. And she's like, oh, you're going to like that. No, she says, she says that guy. You're going to love that guy. (laughs) That guy. You're going to love that guy. (laughs) So uh, it's definitely playing up that the we knew it as a, an audience. So I think it would have been fun 
to uh, give her sort of the uh, actual scene where she powers up and uh, put a little bit more emphasis. Because I think the one thing that's against uh, the Mighty Thor in this movie is the the beginning of Thor Love and Thunder moves very quickly. And there are so many cool things they did with Natalie Portman from making her taller to her different hair color when she's Mighty Thor to her mask, which has to immediately come off because it's just sort of a mystery. There's so many cool design decisions that I wish we could have sat with a little bit uh, before we had to uh, rush off to something else. If there's one like uh, criticism I have for Thor Love and Thunder, it's that I can feel there's a lot of movie at the edges of this movie. And sometimes it feels like we skipped over some stuff uh, that would have been fun to see. In terms of like the Mighty Thor overall as a character, not just like this moment where she appears, but like her use in the movie, et cetera. Um, I don't know if we want to spoil the end of the movie yet, but like Neil, does like does Jane Dr. Jane Foster, the Mighty Thor, work for you? And bear in mind that if she doesn't, you're a bad feminist. So <laughs> no, I mean I think it works. I think the story that they chose to tell for her in this movie works the the sort of emotional climax of it is good it is a little bit more for thor than it is for jane of course but um yeah i mean i agree with dave that i think it would have been fun to sort of sit with this character for a little bit longer but i i don't i don't dislike her part of the story in uh in this film in fact i I think i like most of it um and uh yeah so yeah i think i think it works she's cool she kicks a lot of ass and uh She's a fun foil for Thor. I I think, honestly, though, the sort of romantic comedy between Thor and his different uh, smashy toys is a little bit more interesting, (laughs) right? His trying to reconnect with Mjolnir, trying to uh, make sure that Stormbreaker doesn't get too jealous. I think all of that is played for some good laughs. But, you know, it was great to see see Natalie Portman get back into uh, the Jane Foster character. And for her to be able to get into one of the fun Thor movies and not forever be relegated to the two uh, not great Thor movies. Uh, Mallory Rubin just heard you dissing Thor the Dark World and she has long uh, long <laughs> essays she would like to read to you in defense of Thor the Dark Malekith. World a movie that because I rewatched all of them in the last week uh, that might be better than the first one wow so it's not the worst Thor movie shots shout out to Alan at, Taylor yeah shots fired at recent Oscar winners or Kenneth Branagh sure yeah he'll be fine he doesn't, he doesn't need to worry about what I think of his movies. <laughs> okay, leaving the ending of this movie aside, there is a moment like right, you know, most of the way through the movie in the heat of battle, our villain says something, something, Lady Thor, right? And she goes, first of all, it's the mighty Thor. Secondly, if you can't make that work for you, it's Dr. Jane Foster. Uh, I am on record as... Not liking most of the MCU like girl power moments that we've seen so far. I'm talking about the needle drop in Captain Marvel, and I'm talking about the like women getting it done together. The she, she's <laughs> in, not alone moment in, in Avengers Endgame. Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> this one didn't bother me, and I'm willing to break down why. But I'm just curious for you, Dave. Like, how did how did it sit for you? Oh, I think it was fine. Yeah, I didn't read as out of place in the movie, which. Uh, probably helped because it's not that I disliked uh well no I did dislike the Captain Marvel needle drop but it's not that I dislike the Avengers Endgame scene as much as 
it's like the Infinity War uh, 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 scene where they're fighting with uh, Wanda. It, it feels incongruous to the movie around it, whereas in here it just doesn't. This movie is still kind of like Hayes Code uh, applicable, so it's not super sexy, but it is the most sexy a Marvel movie has been allowed to be in a very long time. Is it? Um, is it? Is it, Neil? I mean, I would argue that, but this is just my personal preference, that Thor Ragnarok was a little yeah. bit more freaky. Yeah. But, I mean, they both have similar sort of energies. This one is a little bit more about the romance Right, um, but and uh, it involves a lot of children who were made by characters we've seen before. But uh, I don't know if I would call it sexy. I mean, the costumes are great. I'll say that. Maybe much. it's like there's believable chemistry as opposed to the actual sex scene in Eternals, which kind of fell fell flat. I mean, definitely sexier than Eternals, even though two of the world's most beautiful people have literal sex in that movie. Yes, and also you know another point in Love and Thunder's corner is that. Uh, carrying forward the theme of being in love with your weapon, we also get this great Christian Bale performance, which if we're going to ever come back and do the other side of this debate, which is like a best villain intro, the opening scene of Love and Thunder is a pretty good entry for Bale's gore, the the god butcher. And uh, he also has a, a sort of intimate relationship with a very uh, dark sword. So uh, it, it's sexy if you're into hanging out with your weapons. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just now wondering if like AO3 is going to be crowded with fan fiction about Gore and the Necro Sword and their uh, interesting relationship. Rule 34 is alive and well. (laughs) (laughs) With the Necro Sword. (laughs) Did Gore work for you, Dave? Like, were you are you a big Gore fan? Oh yeah, I liked Gore. I I mean, I like the performance and how they keep uh, lots of jokes away from him in order to solidify that performance as something that is allowed to be organic. Would have liked to see him kill more gods, uh, but apparently that was also part of, as I alluded to, the movie that got cut out of this movie. Never tell Dave that there's two hours of footage that he didn't get to see. He'll be really, he'll he'll be fixated. And we'll forever. never get to see. He'll be fixated How on that forever. How rude is that? <laughs> All right. So overall, like we're we're fans of the introduction of of Doctor Jane Foster, the Mighty Thor, in this in this movie. Um, so Neil, why don't you give us the rundown of the rules this week as we as we consider other superheroes and their introductions? Absolutely. So you can consider Jane Foster, but I don't I don't know if she's going to get into this uh, debate for the best superhero introduction. Uh, for this, you need to choose a scene in which a superhero is introduced to the world uh, in their costume for the first time on screen, which means that it must come from a movie or TV show. Thank you. Uh, to everyone who did not send us in a million comic book options. Uh, We have some awards to give away and some dismissals to do, and I promise this will not be as long as last week. Uh, But it will be fun. For our category crown this week, we are giving it to a couple, a pair of superheroes who have been introduced to us, I would say, the most frequently of any character on screen. And that is uh, from DC, Batman. And from Marvel, Spider-Man. We have the most Batman and the most Spider-Man of any character, as far as I can tell. Some real pajama James Bonds there. Right, right. And you got <laughs> you also get Batman. Sometimes he says, I'm Batman. Sometimes he says, I'm Vengeance. Sometimes he just says, hello, Freeze, I'm Batman, like George Clooney. 
Uh, but he's there all the time. That so was our a category pretty good Clunes impression. Yeah. I didn't know you had one of those. I've got Batman and Robin Clunes down. Uh, so Batman and Spider-Man are category crown. Category clown. I try to go in search of what is the worst superhero intro or maybe the superhero intro that killed off franchise potential for a character. And I found multiples in a single movie. And that film is X-Men Origins Wolverine, which not only killed the, uh, for the most part, killed the X-Men Origins line of films that Fox wanted to do forever back in the uh, start of this century. It also completely destroyed any chance that Taylor Kitsch would get his own Gambit trilogy. And it introduced Deadpool in such a way that they eventually rebooted the character with the same actor and came back and made fun of how bad it was in X-Men Origins Wolverine. So shout out to, and who even knows where Will I Am's character is? I don't even know who that was. I don't remember his name. So X-Men Origins Wolverine, our category clown for destroying multiple franchises. The Gambit uh, was the most devastating for me. I'm Absolutely. still waiting for my live action Gambit. Someday. Shout out to Tim Riggins. Uh, no, 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 his no shouts. <laughs> Shout retracted. All right, so that means that we're going to do some pretrial dismissals. You're not going to hear uh, any Batman or Spider-Man ones, uh, even though we got plenty of emails from folks on those. So we decided, I have three sort of categories for our dismissals. The first one is from DC, and we got a lot of folks writing in for DC characters, including Selena Kyle, when she becomes Catwoman in Batman Returns. I think it's probably debatable whether she's a superhero, but it is a super scene. I'll tell you that much. We've got Wonder Woman stepping out into No Man's Land, a sequence that uh, I like so much that I even produced an episode of television about it. So that one's a good one. Multiple emails there. Multiple emails for Nightcrawler and his introduction in X-Men 2 where he storms the White House. That is, that's actually a really fun scene that shows off Nightcrawler's powers. We've also got, this one's from me, Star-Lord dancing around in Guardians of the Galaxy. Great intro for a character that's pretty meh from there. Uh, elsewhere in the Marvel category, we've got the bus sequence from Shang-Chi, which is a great fight scene. Also, bonus uh, Zach Cherry as the guy who's like live videoing it. Uh, he's the guy from Severance. Very much enjoy him. And we've got Black Panther joining the chase in Captain America Civil War. An excellent chase scene that shows off uh, some of Black Panther's uh, athleticism and skill in a very cool way. One of the few times Marvel has sort of massaged a character into a middle of the movie, uh, into the middle of another character's movie to successfully intro them. Uh, and shout out to the post-credits warriors. Uh, introduced at the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Wanda Maximoff, and her brother Pietro, but mostly Wanda. Uh, that was a pretty good post credit scene. And then outside of those Marvel and DC ones, we've got a few out-of-the-box ones that our listeners were so kind as to send in. First, from the movie Hancock, we've got Charlize Theron's character, Mary, who reveals halfway through the movie that she also has superpowers to Hancock, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, we've got Sailor Moon and her uh, amazing speech when she turns into Sailor Guardian of Love and Justice. Uh, that one apparently happens many times over the course of Sailor Moon, which shout out to the character who introduces herself uh, over and over and over again. Uh, one from The Boys, which is a hot one this summer, way back in season one when we first met Queen Maeve and she smashes an armored truck to stop it. And she gives that little smile to one of the henchmen. It's just a 
Really, really excellent intro. And then finally, the opening sequence of RoboCop. I consider RoboCop a superhero. He also this is the sequence that opens the movie and is his uh, first night on the job. And there's also a lot of uh, really gruesome stuff that RoboCop does. <laughs> so there you have it. The opening sequence of RoboCop. If you're gonna list it, you have to say it. Why is this on the list, Neil? <laughs> well, because on his first night, he definitely shoots someone in the dick. There you go. <laughs> it's one of the most iconic things that RoboCop does. Uh, so there you have it. Some pretrial dismissals, good candidates that most of, uh, all but one of which came from our listeners emailing in to trialbycontent at gmail.com. And uh, those are ones that you will not hear as part of the debate to follow. Dave, I have a quick question. Yeah. Do you feel like Neil's superhero introduction was when he casually dropped that he produced an episode of television about <laughs> Wonder Woman in the middle yeah, of this Yeah, we pre-trum? got Robocot shoots people in the dick in the <laughs> podcast, but not the name of Neil's TV show. Hey, uh, Neil, what's was, the name of your TV show? Yeah, one of the episodes, the, actually the first episode of One Perfect Shot on HBO Max is all about Wonder Woman stepping out into no man's land. Watch it now. Yeah, it's av- available everywhere. I'm waiting for RoboCop shooting someone in the dick for season two. Yeah, I mean, listen. Let me know. If you don't think that's at the top of my list for scenes I would love to feature. (laughs) You hold your breath for that, and I'll hold my breath for Live Action Gambit. We'll see who expires (laughs) first. (laughs) And then we both die by suffocation. All right, that means it's time for opening remarks, where each host is going to get one minute uh, to give a pitch for their choice. Uh, I did not win last week, but I did come the highest of the hosts, so I'm going to go first, uh, which means I also go last in closing remarks. That's how it goes. Here we go. May I submit the 1998 classic, the original Marvel movie that worked, and the superhero at the center of it, Blade. A poor human blood bag has been lured to a rave, but it's not just any rave. It's the bloodbath rave, and he's the only not va- not vampire there. Bad news. Luckily for a poor sap, after being drenched in blood and his kicked to the floor, he crawls to some non-bloody black boots, and we pan up over body armor and a long black coat, and all the vampires are freaking out, saying it's him, it's the daywalker. Then the crowd parts, giving us our first look uh, at the man who wears his sunglasses at night, in, and even in dark rave caves, it's Blade. He then proceeds to slaughter them with every tool in his arsenal, since the movie makes the bold decision of front-loading blade action. From various guns and stakes, finally to the blade, a sword which he scratches a line of control in before slicing some vamps. Blade doesn't even need to speak. He's blade fully formed right from when he shows up. It arguably tops out the whole series right at the beginning. Wesley Snipes Blade. No clip this week. It's just that techno song. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave was very stubborn that he didn't want to do a clip this week, and I'm so glad he didn't, so that we could get his doo-doo-doing his way through a Blade techno track. All right, it's my turn. Um, I would like to take you back to 1978, when a young man named Christopher Reeve bursts on the scene as Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, in the film Superman. We've already seen Clark Kent grab a bullet. And we've already seen Superman in his costume in the middle of nowhere, flying out of the Fortress of Solitude. But this moment is the moment when the intrepid reporter Lois Lane is dangling from a helicopter off a roof. And Clark knows what he needs to do in full public. He starts running. He sees a payphone. It's not a phone booth, though, so he can't use the phone booth. Then he keeps running. He, He super speeds his way through a revolving door. 
And as he's running towards the revolving door, he pulls open his his suit. We know what happens. The Superman here, like the logo's here, right? And then he flies up. Everyone, the streets crowd, everyone's like, <gasps> they might as well be say it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Like that's essentially what they're saying. Also, some sex workers who are in Metropolis are like looking great. Love that for us in 1978. And uh, he saves he saves Lois from certain death. And it sounds a little bit like this. Carlos, hit me with the clip. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, you've got me. Who's got you? <laughs> oh, I, I can't believe it. I just, I just cannot believe it. He got her. Who are you? A friend. Bye. 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 Uh, is this inclusion a make good for the John Williams episode where we did not include the Superman uh, theme song? Maybe. But listen, Chris, it's like it's iconic for a reason. Superman. Nice. Well, I guess that means it's my turn. And I would like to thank, take you all the way back to the year 2017. And I'm going to begin by doing something that my Twitter feed will not enjoy this week. I'm going to say something nice about Taika Waititi as a filmmaker. There's a scene in Thor Ragnarok where we've already met Valkyrie. She seems to be uh, down on her luck. In fact, characters are now starting to discover that she was, in fact, one of the fabled Valkyrie. It's a scene that involves Kate Blanchett massacring a whole battalion of famed warriors. It involved a camera that could shoot at 1,200 frames per second. It involved an innovative light rig that has 200 lights on it and is 35 feet wide. It begins with a flirty fight between Loki and Valkyrie. They're just being playful. And all of a sudden, Loki realizes that she's a Valkyrie and realizes that that must be a very painful memory. And as he touches her head, we get Valkyrie's stunning introduction. Carlos, let's hear it. You're a Valkyrie. <laughs> I thought the Valkyrie had all died gruesome deaths. Choose your next words wisely. I'm terribly sorry. Must be a very painful memory. Love that sound effect at the end. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) I thought your clip was going to be just that sound effect. So I'm like, there is no dialogue in the scene he's talking about. (laughs) But I see we've extended. Yep. So there you have it. Valkyrie's introduction, her full introduction. Uh, in Thor Ragnarok, which is one of my all-time favorites. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. 
Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That lighting effect that you're talking about, the plate light, is a you know, is what he used for the Shadow Realm sequence in uh, Thor Love and Thunder, which is like the best part of the movie, bar none for me. I think it looks extraordinary. I think it's really interesting. Like, you know, he's talked about how that lighting technique is was innovated by his friends. His friend Stu, who was in What We Do in the Shadows. He played Stu. I just think it's interesting that like other people haven't really made a lot of use of it. Like, why is Taika the only one using this really cool technique? <laughs> I would imagine it's expensive, right? It's a it's a big 200 light setup, this you know, giant thing. I I, I have read a little bit about it. It's it's called um plate light. Yeah, and it's the the satellite uh lab rig or satellite lab is the company that that makes them and they've done it for commercial use, but ultimately what it allowed them to do is shoot that in hyper slow motion and have the light sort of rotating around the characters. And, uh, you know, among uh, the many fun things about Thor Ragnarok is that just absolutely incredible scene. So, um, an interview I did with Taika Waititi on the ring of earth episode this week, he talked about it. And I thought, I think what I think is really cool is the way in which it allows him to control in post, but without a, a heavy reliance on digital effects, the way that the scene is lit. And I think that that is a really cool, yeah, it's it's very cool. I also love uh, the image of how that scene was shot, where a lot of it was Tessa Thompson in costume bouncing up and down on a trampoline as Kate Blanchett threw sugar packets at her. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the sugar packet detail. It's amazing. Take, take that uh, image from on set and compare it to the incredible final sequence. <laughs> and that, now that's some movie magic right there. You could shoot that in a parking lot if you wanted to, and it'd be fine. <laughs> Amazing. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm choosing um, maybe not the most popular character this week, right? Christopher Reeve's Superman is maybe one of the, the most iconic superheroes of all time. Wesley Snipes' Blade, same. But I think it's a really important sequence. It's also one of the more creative things that they've done, filmmaking things that they've done in the MCU. And it's important to point out when they get it right, because the opposite is abundant at times. I, I think it's interesting. The Wesley Snipes thing is interesting. I'm so glad Blade is in here. Um, like, I think we should talk about Blade more often in general. But, like, the question of the superhero introduction, and it's a little dicey, right? Because, like, when exactly is the exact introduction of a hero? We might get into this a little bit more when we get to some of the listener submissions. But, um it feels like it should be a moment that heralds a decision for the character or at least revealing information for us. So it's interesting that the introduction of Wesley Snipes as Blade is the very beginning of the story as Dave puts out. Like, uh, like Dave, do you think that that you think that that makes it strong? I mean, you, you talked about the the trilogy tapping out right at the beginning. Like, do you think that makes it a stronger introduction or or not so much? 
I think it does make it a stronger introduction because it is it isn't quite the opening scene. Uh, there is a pre-credit scene of uh, Blade's mother being pregnant, covered in blood, giving birth, and then we jump forward through like a montage of the sun setting uh, into our blood rave. Uh, but I really think the this and to give a little hint, my listener choice uh, are good examples of uh, you may think that you're in a superhero origin film, uh, but instead it's going to smack you uh, right in the face at the beginning of the movie with the apex of the character. So rather than having to spend some time explaining who these people are, uh, you sort of get uh, hit really quickly with some uh, action. I think it, Superman doesn't do that smartly because it's sort of uh, trend setting as a superhero movie. Uh, but I do think Valkyrie is an example of that same sort of... Uh, peak of when we first get the full suit thing it's actually um sort of a great reveal that she was one of these valkyrie and then we get to see her and we get to see her fighting the villain from the movie and so it's sort of like a big and we get to see the pegasus which i consider part of her costume uh, at least for this scene so i i think that just suddenly getting a glimpse of full-formed hero uh in the middle of your movie or before there's actually like a build-up or introduction I think is something completely different and exciting in a different way. Because if it is a hero like uh, Superman or uh, other heroes that I'm sure we're going to talk about that have to build up to the moment in their origin story where they are ready to become the hero or ready to take on the mantle, I think it's a different thrill other than uh, you don't know what this movie is in the case of Blade. We're in the late 90s uh, everyone's into leather and techno and they don't say it, but I bet they're all hackers. And uh, <laughs> what, what type of movie is this? Are they like subsisting entirely on Mountain Dew? It's just like Mountain Dew, ha- yeah, yeah, hacking, exactly. and, and, and yeah, vampires. Blood like, and yeah, yeah. Uh, raves, really simple techno music. But Blade shows up and not only does he kick everybody's ass, but the sequence ends with the very gifable uh, smiling and fist pump. So Blade enters into Blade's movie and sets the tone of what we're going to see. And it's just Blade's going to kill some vampires. And I think the rest of the series, although with uh, especially with Guillermo del Toro's second entry, have some great things. It uh, is all a uh, roller coaster ride after that initial drop where it's just here's Blade and he's 100 percent cool in his introductory scene. Uh, and I, I have no, no other thoughts uh, about probing that character until the movie gets around to it. Okay, what do you guys think of the fact that my pick is cited by almost every superhero filmmaker who's come after it as their inspiration for what the like platonic ideal of a superhero movie is? I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the age of the people making the modern superhero movies, right? Like, that was sort of uh, the first big thing of their childhood, right? These are the, the Richard Donner Superman Star Wars original Star Wars trilogy kids that are getting to make those. So not entirely surprised, but it also is iconic because it was made so far before the real craze of superhero movies that we live in now, right? Like there was just something so formative about Richard Donner putting Superman on screen for the first time in a, in a huge way. So I don't know. That one's the nostalgic favorite, I think. And, um, you know, for me at least, um, but I like that one. I you know, nobody drops Margot Kidder off a building in this town, babe. Uh, 
Uh, it's all yeah. about, it's all about this charming like meat cute falling off the side of a building with a helicopter and Superman. That's not that's not how they meet. They meet they meet in the Daily Planet. She's she's sprays yeah, him with water Lois first. Clark, but this is yeah. Oh yeah, this is Sup- Superman and Lois meeting each other. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, I agree that it's a template, but also because it's first and because Chris Reeve as Superman is going to be one of the like best people to portray a superhero ever like i think as even as we go on into infinity and have kids that are six now growing up to play superman uh, we will still be talking about it uh, because it's there's so many things about that performance that makes it great and there's so many things about margot kidder's lois that makes it great uh but also like neil was saying it's really a lot about timing so i think the first superman you know, it has the tagline on the posters, you'll believe a man could fly, or date at the time, because there, uh, the cinema was the place that you went for these gigantic, uh, you know, uh, action movies that involved a flying dude. Uh, and now that's where, for a long time, you went for superhero movies until, you know, the CGI allowed uh, TV shows to sort of pick up. So I agree that it's, uh, formative for all superhero movies that come after it, but is the introduction the thing that we pull from that? This is a good question. I I do think so because I think, and like George Reeves' Superman, which I also watched as like a young kid, the black and white TV Superman. Like um, Chris Reeve did not invent pulling the suit open to like show you the Superman logo. Like that's a thing that like, pre-existed, but. That move is so iconic. The cute little like joke within that sequence of I don't have a phone booth to step into because those things don't really exist anymore in in like the metropolis that that we're dealing with here. Well, what is that joke from if you trace it back? That's like comic book readers joke. But also George Reeve, like the TV yes. TV watcher. Fair, fair, fair enough. Um, but it's somebody who's like been I don't know. No, it's someone ahead. who's familiar uh, with the trope of Superman stepping into a phone booth and coming. Of course, of Clark Kent. It's also someone who's familiar with what phone booths are, which <laughs> may not mm-hmm. be all of our audience. Oh no! <laughs> and I mean, certainly, uh, a payphone is in its own right looks uh, looks silly and out of date. But the way in which Chris re- like so you you get all of those elements to it. Um, And again, like this was back when New York was allowed to be like dirty New York. And so even though it's Metropolis, it's still kind of New York. So the fact that it's like sex workers are the first people to see Superman on the street is just like wild and fantastic to me. Um, But you get all of that in the package of Chris Reeve, who is like with apologies to Henry Cavill and his occasionally mustachioed upper lip, like the iconic Superman that like the comics like the 1978 film, I know you know this, but the 1978 film was so, so revolutionary and foundational that like the comic books then started to follow the lead of various designs from the film. Like this changed everything forever when Chris Reeve <laughs> tears his suit open. It's just, it is. I mean, I get it, but it's Superman. So let's talk about who knew who Blade was before 1998. <laughs> I mean, that's... Right? <laughs> That's true. I, or, or I'll give you Valkyrie and Ragnarok for the exact same reason. Like, so it's you feel iconic. like the introduction needs to be like an introduction for the audience of like, who is this person I've never met them before? Not who is this icon I'm already familiar with. 
I just think, I think they're different things. I think yours is a culmination of the movie we saw up to that point. Like, what is he going to do? Yeah, and by with the this, way, that's you know? like 40 minutes into this movie. Mm-hmm. So long until that happens. And Neil's is a nice shot of background that personalizes a side drunkard, basically, up until that point. Which I very much appreciate. I would call it uh, like a huge emotional moment for yeah, her character can we and an important backstory. Valkyrie side <laughs> drunkard. <laughs> she is a, up until you get that ejected scene. from the conversation. Sure. Dave. Well, and here's here's the thing. Yeah, she's kind of a pain in the ass um, for the first what half of that movie, but it is it is only through this scene that we learn what pushed her off of her path, right? Off of her path as a legendary warrior of Asgard is not only seeing her sisters massacred, but like a very specific one that she may have loved a lot, saving her very directly. So I think it's an important character moment. Um, I do find it interesting that you guys are, it seems like flipped sides of the same argument. Whereas like Blade is a great intro and the scene sort of supersedes the quality of the rest of the franchise. Whereas with Superman, it is a great scene, but it's hard to say that's the one moment that defines Christopher Reeve's Superman because there's so many great ones, right? It's hard to detach that scene from... They do from, squeeze a lot into that first movie. They do. I mean, they get a lot in that first movie. It's hard to detach that from the, the larger legacy of Superman, a character that people were very familiar with. So I don't know if it like has to be a character the audience isn't super familiar with, but I do think that gives, gives it a little extra juice, right? If it's a character we didn't expect to be that fun, like Valkyrie, where it's like, oh, Tessa Thompson, she's fun. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, she rides a horse a Pegasus and has an awesome sword. <laughs> if you're looking for characters, we didn't expect to be that fun. Uh, may I present to you. I've got you. You've got me. Who's got you freaking Lois Lane. Like the, the, the fact that this introduction is wrapped up in this Margot Kidder's like, uh, again, revolutionary depiction of Lois Lane that brought her like Lois Lane, always fun in the comics, but like Margot Kidder turned her into something more than Lois Lane was ever allowed to be in the comics. And so to wrap that into this moment, to wrap their romance and their flirty banter into a superhero rescue moment, like, um, you know, it's all in there. I do feel painted into a corner if I'm going to have to argue against the charm of Christopher Reeve and Margot (laughs) Kidder together on screen because my heart won't do it. Yeah, it seems to me like that's a that's a twofer, which is slightly beyond the uh, the the. It's the not scope her of our introduction. Debate. She's just there. She's just bonus. Your bonus is a leather jacket, which is also very cool, but it's no Marco Kidder. So gotta be leather jacket, <laughs> lots of guns, <laughs> higher death count uh, than everybody because I've got an avenging hero. You know all these things. Actually, no, no. Neil's death count might be close to mine. I forgot about all the other Valkyries. All the Valkyrie die. Um, I mean, Dave's Dave's choice also involves uh, Donald Logue getting shot a bunch of times. And, you know, shout out to Donald Logue, one of my all-time favorite that guys. Incredible. I, I mean, I think he transcends that guy. He's just... He really does. He's an icon. <laughs> oh, okay, on that, on that love for Donald Logue moment, should we go to our listener submissions? Let's involve some listeners in this so I could stop simply alluding to them and we could talk about it. I'll go first, and I'm going to choose Matt. Uh, Riley also wrote in with this, but I'm going to use Matt's words as best I can. Here we go. My choice for best superhero introduction is from 1989's Batman. The hype around this movie in 1989 was crazy. I couldn't wait to see it. 
Per Fandango Youth, we got in line at 8 a.m. and waited to buy tickets to whatever the next screening was that wasn't sold out. Then we waited in line to get good seats. Watching the muggers talk on the rooftop about their criminal friends being beaten up by the mysterious bat filled us with anticipation that we would see him soon and we weren't disappointed. When Batman spread his cape and the theater exploded and we got to see all of Batman's cool traits in one sequence, he did martial arts, he couldn't be killed by bullets, and he had awesome toys. Once he dangled the crook over the side of the building and uttered, I'm Batman, the audience was hooked in for the rest of the movie. Now, I will admit that 1989 Batman is probably the Joker's movie. Jack Nicholson was amazing, but Michael Keaton's intro was pretty cool. This is another one where I think it's there's there's great power in just showing the full hero right at the top. I love the self-neg at the end of this uh, submission. <laughs> well, he, uh, Matt correctly understood the assignment and did not submit a... Uh, supervillain introduction but when we do loop around to that debate 1989's uh batman with uh, the joker stepping out of the shadows uh will will probably be in, in conversation this one also a good template one right because i feel like you get a lot of uh of reverberations of this in the way they introduce uh, the way christopher nolan does it in batman begins the doc scene where he's like lifting guys up into the shadows um feels lightly inspired by and tim burton in 89 so uh, our Pats, the Battenson. I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. What I also like about 89's Batman is it starts with a fake out. We're doing the origin story because it's like a single white kid leaving the theater with his family and they're, they get held up and you're like, oh, we're going to see it. But it's not. We're going to see what happens to those crooks who dared trigger Bruce Wayne in the exact same alley. How dare they? <laughs> Don't they know they have to deal with the Batman? <laughs> yeah, if I were a villain, I would never go into that alley ever again. There are other other ways to get around Gotham City, folks. So I'm going to, because we've had a lot of Marvel and DC in this debate and because they're the predominant, um, you know, superhero brands, I get it, but I decided to go with our listener Peters to get a little, mix it up a little bit. Peter wrote in, hello, friends of Trial by Content. My nomination for best superhero introduction comes not from the MCU or whatever DC is trying to do at the moment. It comes from a movie that was adapted from a cult comic in the 90s. Yes, my nomination is for Eric Draven coming back as the crow. One year after being brutally murdered, a crow taps on Eric's gravestone and Eric crawls out of his grave. Disoriented, Eric is guided back to his now... Sorry, pause really quickly. Peter forgets the part where he like screams into the rain. Great moment. Okay, back to Peter's uh, pitch. Disoriented, Eric is guided back to his now abandoned apartment by the crow. And while he starts remembering his death, he also remembers the love of his life that was taken. One of the best 90s needle drop happens. The cures burn. And we see Eric apply the now iconic face paint and all black outfit to become the crow. To which he then seeks vengeance on the gang members who robbed him of his of the love of his life. Carlos, play the cure. I just wanted to make sure that you, the listeners, got to hear the thunder and lightning that was like aggressively storming as the cure is playing. And then also the crow just occasionally cawing. And also, I just want to point out that Eric stops to like pet his cat at one point while he's getting super gothed up. So uh, I forgot that the crow was a cat boy. It's yeah, he's, like, he's yeah. a hardcore cat boy and a bird boy. Like you, it's 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 rare that you find both, but that's, sure. that's Eric. <laughs> 
Neil? <laughs> All right. Then I guess that means uh, it is my turn. This is one that we got three emails. Uh, we heard from John and from Max about this one, but I am choosing Steph's email. Steph has this to say. Best superhero introduction? Question mark? Spider-Man. And no, not Toby's, not Andrew's, not Tom's, not even all three in that movie where they were all together. Miles Morales as Spider-Man is my pick from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, a perfect movie that takes the concept of introducing a superhero to a whole new level. The audience is introduced to all of our Spider-People via a brief comic book montage, subverting over and over again uh, the way to present them in a way that feels fresh and innovative. But their shadows loom large over Miles, voiced by Shameik Moore, who struggles to unlock his identity as a superhero. His journey over the movie leads him to the edge of a building, guided by the love of his family and new friends. He picks up the mantle and literally makes it his own by spray painting it black. And then, finally, falling over the edge of the skyscraper, it is here where the immaculate needle drop of What's Up Danger lays over him, swinging around the city and embracing his identity as the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, to be bookended by him getting his own comic book as his peers in the seminal move that every Spider-Man has to make starting their journey, taking a leap of faith. Let's give it a listen, Carlos. When do I know I'm Spider-Man? You won't. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. What's up, danger? And you will note, uh, as the script itself says, in that one perfect shot where Miles starts by appearing that he's, he's falling, but no, friends, he is rising. That is the introduction of Miles Morales as Spider Man. This one, I mean, listen, I don't. I didn't intend to be recency bias guy this week on the podcast, but uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, this one extremely strong in a lot of yeah. ways. Full disclosure, we had a whole conversation about who got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I genuinely started crying when you played the clip, as I've done every single time I watch this moment yeah. in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think most of uh, my prep was leaning towards this being my pick. But then when I saw so many listeners um, writing in about it, I was like, you know, let's give the listeners probably another let's win this week. Let's let them win twice in a row. <laughs> it's really so. hard to beat Miles. Um, it is. I do. I just want. I just want to throw some flowers at the crow for a second and say, like, when we talk, you know, you talked about the sexiness of Thor: Love and Thunder, but what's true about Marvel and, uh, I mean, I think this is true of DC at the moment as well, is that these are still like largely sexless uh, stories, uh, you know, because they're you know for the kids. Um, yeah, they're, they're kids movies. But Blade. the <laughs> great kids movies. Uh, <laughs> But Eric Draven, played by the great late great Brandon Lee, like the the flashes of his life with his girlfriend who died a year previous, as he's like smearing his face with white and black paint and, and becoming the like template for all goths everywhere, um, is like him having sex with his girlfriend. And I was like, I was watching it this morning and I was like, God, I forgot that they used to just put sex in movies. Like, it really feels like we've moved away from that. And not that that's a necessary thing. I just like that it's part of his, like, I like wholesome things, too. I like Chris Reeve saving Margot Kidder. I love watching Miles Morales jump off a roof. But, like, there's something to be said for the for the dirty 90s. 
uh, as embodied by the crow. So I'll also say, say this for the crow. I will cheer wherever I am whenever they finally get around to the new crow movie and the new crow's introduced. Because it's been like 15 years. When I was in college, I was a script reader for Ed Pressman Productions. He holds the right to the crow. I have read every single crow script that had been written up until that point. All bad. So when they finally get one up, I don't think it's going to be like Alexander Skarsgård anymore. It's definitely not going to be Jason Momoa anymore. I don't know who it's going to be. But when the crow finally comes it's back... It's probably going to be Austin Butler. That would be my guess. Uh, Luke, yeah, why not? Luke Evans, <laughs> Tom Hiddleston, Jack Houston, Nicholas Holt, Jack O'Connell. Like, these are all actors who have been either attached to or very close to playing Eric Draven again. I'm just, I'm just going to love it because it's going to be The Crow based on something that you're all too old to fucking remember. <laughs> right. So that new Crow is going to be a new Crow and I am excited to see <laughs> how that introduction comes along. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So looking at these listener options, I do feel like there's a little overlap between The Crow and Blade. The sexy, dirty... I mean, on, it's, it's it's obviously Miles. Of course, sure. it's Miles. Yeah. I'm just and like, I think, you know, <laughs> I love I love Keaton's Batman, but I feel like his generation is well represented with Christopher Reeve's Superman. Well, also, we'll get to see him uh, in, a, in a little bit here, pop his head back up in the cowl. So he's not gone. Yeah, well, and, and Into the Spider-Verse is uh, one of the movies that seems to have convinced Hollywood that they need to put every character from every version of everything in the movie together. So, you know, it's That's part of the point. reason why we're the getting so many Batman. the multiverse apple. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to beat Miles. I mean, it, honestly, as much as I love Valkyrie in Ragnarok, Miles in Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse is huge. Listen, we don't need to tank our own submissions. I'm just saying. I know. Like, uh, Miles, true. like, <laughs> the way that the whole story, like, we were talking about when you deploy this superhero reveal, right? And, like, Blade at the beginning, Superman 40 minutes in, Valkyrie in this sort of, like, flashback moment or whatever. But this whole, like, Into the Spider-Verse is about Miles Morales it's about feeling becoming like Spider-Man. Yeah. he can... And, you know, and it's similar to, I imagine, what we might get, you know, what we might get this week on the Miss Marvel show where it's like, it's not about trying to be like Peter Parker. It's not about trying to be like uh, the other spider. It's being your your own version of it. Plus, I mean, we talked about needle drops last week in not our most popular episode of the podcast, but I have to say that, like, in terms of needle drop, what's of danger? Right. When we get to movie needle drops, that one's, I mean, it's a candidate for sure. Oh, it's, I mean, yes, we're going to throw in Miles Morales as our fourth, I think. Uh, the other ones are great, but uh, Miles Morales is one that I would regret putting in because now when the listeners win, someone's going to have like Peter Parker being like, no, Miles, it's a leap of faith. And he does that upward leap. And then someone's going to put, mm, what you say? <laughs> mm, that you only meant well, because it's the wow. rise of the listeners. That's uh, uh, <laughs> the only way to make that scene better. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I um I can't wait for the sequel to this film. I like I often say this, and I I really do think it's true. I think Into the Spider Verse is my favorite superhero movie. I think it's perfect, um, and I don't get tired of rewatching it. And it's just like, and I cry every time this moment happens, like because you know, like, and that's the other thing is like it's not a surprise. You know what's happening. 
And like, it's one of those like build to a moment that is so like almost just eye rollingly cheesy of like, oh, it's a literal leap of faith or it's a leap of faith. And you hear the voices and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, oh, love conquers all or whatever the, you know, all these like worn out things, except it works entirely emotionally on you because you care so much about Miles. And it's just like, and then I just think it's the most beautiful shot of the entire movie. The upside down, like skyline. It's just, yeah. Definitely need some sex workers going, that costume's bad. I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the other thing I like about Into the Spider-Verse is it's a movie that is so skilled at introducing characters that not only do we get Miles as Spider-Man as like the, the big sort of centerpiece, but we get all these other amazing, fun introductions of all these other ridiculous versions of Spider-Man. And, uh, you know, I think we should reward the movie for its its dedication to great superhero introductions as well. Yeah, big ups to anyone who can wear the mask. It's definitely what's on my mind uh, going to crowded movie theaters and seeing who else is seeing the movie with me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That means it is time for closing statements to see uh, to give one more argument for everybody that's going to be joining Miles Morales and What's Up Danger, we're going to go in reverse order, which means we're starting with Neil. All right. So a vote for me this week is a vote for pushing filmmaking technology forward. It is a vote for the current franchise at the top of the box office, the Thor franchise, and my uh, one of probably my personal favorite superhero introduction, that of Valkyrie in the um, extremely slow motion flashback scene in Thor Ragnarok. Joanna. I guess it's me that's, then, that's man. That's it. Yeah, that's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> We're fighting for second place. All right. Listen, everyone was really mad when we did not have John Williams' Superman score. And I can't blame them because it's an incredible score. And you know when that score is most effective? When it's backing up a heroic rescue. Executed. By one Mr. Christopher Reeve as Superman. The forelock is curled. The tights are light blue. The suit is kind of baggy because it's the 70s. That's all I have to say. It's just and he's incredible. extremely polite. Which so I think nice. is one of his what defining nice characters. What a nice, nice boy. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> and finally, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Blade. Wesley Snipes' Blade. The blade that has yet to be replaced by Mahershala Ali because that's how iconic it ended up being. Blade, who just wants to tear through some vampire raids, raves. Well, I guess it's also a raid on a vampire rave. I could have just done all that together. But Blade, who is a very simple uh, hero, he's out to fight vampires because he's half vampire. He's the daywalker. He hasn't even been often imitated because he is iconic. 1998's Blade. You just watch the first 20 minutes. I'm not going to blame you if you don't go through the rest of the thing. But it's all good. I like it. Blade. No, you have to watch the whole thing. Stephen Dorff. Sure. Come on. Yeah, Stephen Dorff is great. Also, I think Blade sure. Blade gets a special uh, jury award for best fist pump during an introduction. It's really he, great. He does. I also like uh, the line, uh, some motherfuckers are always trying to skate uphill. And they like... Wesley Snipes made that up and they were like, what? Let's put it in because that's Wesley Snipes for you. I'm I'm arguing as much for Wesley Snipes as I am for Blade. (laughs) 
Wait, wait, I'm just want to, because we have a little extra time, I just want to say, just want to say this in case people are listening to this and have not heard the story of my favorite story of all time, which is Wesley Snipes refusing to come to set or refusing to open his eyes during a take in Blade 3. And so they had to CGI open eyes on him because he was like throwing a tantrum and had his eyes closed. So if you watch that movie, there's a moment where he's like laying down and he just has his eyes closed, but they just digitally put eyes on top of his eyelids. And it's the most bonkers thing. Yeah, there's a lot about Blade 3 that uh, is a, a subject for, uh, you know, Productions from Hell uh, yeah. podcast or book and probably has been. But yeah, that's I'm not saying all of Blade. I'm saying best superhero introduction, Blade. And you can find our poll for the best superhero introduction on TheRinger.com, on at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find trial by content. Those are three places you could vote. You could vote in all three. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Speaking of next week, we're going to keep it fun and loose with an interesting topic. Neil, what should people write in about for next week's trial by content? I'm so glad we're keeping it fun and loose next week. But after that, <laughs> it's back to serious and tight, okay? Yeah, exactly. Real debates. Well, a little inside baseball for you folks. When we were discussing this as we were prepping, uh, my first reaction to this topic was, oh, this will cause some bloodshed. So yeah, sure. Friendly next week is what uh, the theme is going to be. When we debate what is the best summer movie year ever. So what you're going to do, and you're going to write this in an email to trialbycontent at gmail.com, is you're going to choose a year that you think has the best portfolio of summer movies. And for the purposes of this, we are defining summer as May through August. And these need to be movies that were released May through August. There are some years where you might be able to massage in movies released at the very end of April. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So you're going to pick a year. You're going to argue why it was the best year for summer movies. And you're going to send those picks to uh, trialbycontent at gmail.com. That email address, of course, you can use to also submit suggestions for future trial by content topics, uh, or if you just want to tell us something, that's a fun way to get a hold of us. That email again, trialbycontent at gmail.com. Can't wait for next week. That's going to be a fun one. We have a sort of soft rule that uh, nobody could hat trick on this podcast. So uh, we're coming for you, listeners. About, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. When you're thinking about voting for that <laughs> listener pick. Know that you're uh, also working against next week's listener pick. I don't know if that works, but vote for me. That's that's the that's makes the sense. <laughs> this episode was produced by Carlos Cherbo. determine a final four nominee poll that will decide the one true Kyle <laughs> Kyle the single Kyle the one true Kyle we're trying to we're <clears throat> trying to nail down the one true Kyle mm-hmm. wow yeah I gave it all away we're supposed to wait until the end of the first season to reveal the, the <laughs> best Kyle all been in pursuit of the best Kyle <clears throat> until a, a consensus is reached Carlos please put that in the stinger <laughs>